Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Today we'll meet a man who was told he had less than 48 hours to live, that his vital organs were shutting down, and three years later has one of the most remarkable ministries you'll ever see. Jason Biddle has been a success at everything he's tried, a highly touted baseball prospect, an entrepreneur, and a community leader. But in the shadows, he's battled the relentless power of addiction and substance abuse, which have nearly taken his life multiple times. Today he shares his story, and how at his lowest moment, he finally found the life change and heart change that transformed him. Jason is a recording artist and a speaker. His brand new single is called Come On In, and his debut record is Redemption House. And brother, this is one of those stories that comes along and just leaves you speechless. Let's pick it up in a place so many of us wish we could have been in our youth. You were a talented baseball player invited to a major league tryout, but injury was on the way, right? Yes. Yeah, it ended my career in 97. What did you? What position did you play, by the way? I was a pitcher. What was your specialty pitch? I had a split finger, a split finger that dropped off a table that I perfected <sighs> my senior year of high school. I'm a little envious as we begin the conversation, I have to be honest with you, but you start instead pursuing another passion for building things. And by 20, you're already running your own business as a contractor. You were this great success, but on another track, a whole lot of your life, you say, started to revolve around alcohol. You know, after I blew my elbow out, you know, and then it was like, okay, time to work. You know, it just, it started out with, you know, happy hours and it started out with, you know, it, it wasn't anything too crazy until a little bit later in life. But yeah, alcohol is definitely a, a high, what I would have called back then a high point of my life for social gatherings. Of course, of course. And you're really into bodybuilding at the time as well, right? So in addition to alcohol, as you start to go deeper and deeper into this, you introduce steroids as well, and then come opiates and finally cocaine. What's amazing to me is that all this happening while you're balancing this career and also a relationship with your fiance, and you say that when you got married in 2006, she had no idea you were using drugs, right? The hard ones she didn't know about. Um, you know, she thought, oh, once in a while, I'd smoke pots or, you know, and I would drink on weekends. But for the hard stuff, no, I kept that completely quiet. There was very few people that knew I was using harder drugs. Did there come a point for yourself where you realized, I have a problem here? Yeah, I believe that was, you know, 2000, when we got married in 2006, within, within six months of us being married, I, uh, I, we, my wife and I got in a big fight. She found out, she saw me shooting up in the bathroom and she's like, what, what are you doing? And, you know, I tried to explain to her and she left, she was gone and she had been gone for a week. And I, I went on this crazy bender of just drinking and using drugs. And I remember it was just, uh, it, it was one morning I got up and I started using, I started drinking and I don't remember anything. So I either blacked out or had an overdose because I woke up later that evening 
Uh, and I remember pulling myself up to the vanity and I, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, God, if you're real, like I, I need your help. I, I can't do this anymore. And at, at that exact moment, my wife texted me and she said, Jason, I can get you into rehab tomorrow. I still love you. And I was just like, Oh my mm. gosh, you know, like this, this can't be any type of coincidence at all. And, uh, and I started bro- broke down, started crying. And then she came and I got into rehab the very next day. When you call out to God like that, what was your history with God? Who was he to you? I mean, was there any history of faith that your life had uh, tread at all to that point? You know, I went to church. I grew up Methodist and we'd go to church on Sundays and especially for Easter and Thanksgiving and, you know, all the special occasions. But by the time I was 16, I wasn't going to church anymore. I mean, I had my license and it was, I would do everything I could to stay the night at a friend's house. So I didn't have to go to church on Sunday. Um, and it, and it really, I really started to just fall away from that. And then I remember meeting with, uh, you know, I, I just had quite a few friends that just weren't believers. And then I started, I started hearing all these other things and I just really started to question, is God even real? You know, I, I just didn't know I, I'd not seen any proof of it and not really looked for it either. Um, but, but I just didn't, I, I don't think I had, I, I think I really didn't care one way or the other. I was just too busy living my life and too selfish to think about anything else. Of course. Yeah. That's a great, uh, honest way to put it. Well, Jason Biddle is with us today on the road. Jason is a recording artist and a speaker with one of the most incredible stories of faith and redemption that you'll ever hear. His brand new single is called Come On In. The debut record is called Redemption House. And after this extraordinary moment that you have there, the prayer that you just described so poignantly, there's this season of real ups and downs that follows. You move to California from Minnesota. You suffer a relapse, then find a church and new meaning. But in addition to everything else, you discover you have cancer in 2011. We started hanging out with a lot of friends. We started going to some Bible studies. And right about that time, I also found out that, that I had a, a, a huge you know, tumor in my liver. and They didn't think it was cancerous, but it was bigger than a grapefruit. And they said, well, we got to get this thing out of here. And so when they went in, they had done a biopsy right after the surgery. And the doctor came in, I remember he came in like right after and he said, Hey, we just tested this thing. And this thing is full of, of this really terrible cancer. And if, if we didn't get this, like he, he said that the, the cancer was encapsulated uh, by the tumor. So the tumor actually saved my life. And he said, I think that what it was, was that, your, the steroid use and the hormones that you had done might have actually saved your life because it made that's what made this tumor grow so much. And so wow. Because if this cancer actually would have gotten in your vial doc, he's like, you would have been dead. And so, so it was. It was like it's one of those things. Like when you read in the Bible, it's like God uses everything for good. It's like man, <laughs> those terrible decisions that I made, He used it for good because He had other other plans for me. You know. Wow. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. Well, you say over the next several years, you're gaining some sporadic control over the addictions. You guys move back to Minnesota. You're rebuilding homes. You're rebuilding your marriage. But then another surprise comes three years ago in 2017. You suffer an injury in a workout, and you're reintroduced at that point to painkillers in the aftermath, right? I had, I think I had three years at that point in 2017. And then I had, uh, was doing a CrossFit workout of all things. And I blew my shoulder out, my left shoulder, I tore the labrum out. 
and went and got surgery and then they gave me the painkillers and it was like somebody tried to switch on and it was like this constant craving of alcohol and I didn't, I just could not get enough painkillers. They weren't giving me enough. And, and then, um, you know, it, it just, it, it started into this spiral of, you know, when the doctors cut me off, you know, I ran into a drug dealer right after the doctors had cut me off that I had, hadn't seen in 10 or 12 years. And he's like, Hey, if you want anything, I got whatever you need. And I'm like, no, you better, I better not. Um, but give me your number. And, you know, within, within one day I was calling him and, uh, I was supplementing my need for painkillers and then it turned into other things. We talk about a pandemic we're in one right now with the coronavirus, but oh my word, I mean, addiction is pandemic to our world. And so many people, I think perhaps if we haven't experienced it ourselves, the question is, is just so simplistically, well, why can't you just quit? Right. But mm. from your perspective, being there yourself, I mean, just how hard is it to know with every fiber of your being that you need to quit, but to actually just do it? it it's, it's a sickness that I can't even describe. I mean, you know, when the doctors, even when a doctor would tell you, hey, you've got liver cancer, you're, and I just cut out this huge tumor, and I still go out with staples in my stomach and go to the liquor store and drink because I'm so physically addicted to it. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's like how bad it, it is. And it's like, you don't know until you've got some really good sobriety and find out what it was that was causing you to get to that point in the first place, um, which we can go into here yeah. as we continue the, the conversation. Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. And I've got, I've got so many stories of friends in recovery and friends that have died. And it's like, man, they had years. And then all of a sudden it was just downward spiral to death. I mean, it's just, that's where it's going to end up taking you to, to, to jail or to death. Well, I'm so sorry about that, uh, by the way, but thank you so much for your honesty. We're going to get to redemption house and the real pivot point of your life in just a moment. But before we get there, what takes you there? Finally, you suffer an overdose that induces a seizure. You're in the hospital with your vital organs literally shutting down. And the doctors say, we don't think you'll make it past the next 48 hours. But what happened next? I remember two weeks. Uh, it was it was mid-September. I remember praying out to God. And I said, God, I'm, I'm so physically addicted that you're, you're going to have to do something. I need a consequence out of this. Like, I need you to you know, give me a DUI or, or, you know, give me, give me an accident, make me run off the road or something to just wake me up because I can't stop. And God answered the prayer because two weeks later, my wife was out of town in in Vegas with some friends. Um, and I had the kids here at the house and I just remember, you know, mixing a drink and I think I took a painkiller. I ordered a pizza and then six days where I wake up in the hospital and, um, you know, from what I understand, I, I had an overdose, I had a seizure in my own home. Um, you know, my children had to be, my, my kids were kind of on their own. They didn't find me till the next day. Um, my kids didn't know to go and talk to the neighbors or anything. They were too scared to go outside because it was late. My kids were seven and four. Yeah. And, you know, here I am laying on the floor, uh, you know, this, this with foam coming out of my mouth. It's just terrible. Um, and then, and then the, the, uh, the, the doctors, what happened was, I guess the next morning, my phone was going off in my back pocket where I had fallen on it. My son was able to get me up, pull the phone out of my back pocket, call my wife in Las Vegas. 
And she says, go get the neighbor. And then that's where, you know, that's where everything happened. They get me to the hospital and they tell Brits, my wife, uh, say, Hey, he's, we don't know if he's going to make it. You need to get back here now. And so she's trying to, she's trying everything she can to get back to, to get back to Minnesota. And I'm in the hospital hanging by a thread, um, on life support. And, and then, um, you know, slowly but surely over a couple, three days, they started seeing my vitals start going back up. Hmm. And then on day six, you know, lo and behold, I wake up and I remember everything from the minute I woke up on to, to today. Wow. I mean, it really is miraculous. It's nothing short of miraculous that you're still here today. Right. I mean, the doctor said that. I mean, when I was actually walking and doing box jumps four days after I wake up from a coma, <laughs> they tell me the, the doctor came in and she said, you should be dead. And she's like, here's, here's your brain when you came in. And she showed me a picture of the scan of the day, the day prior, the day after the day before she came in to visit me. She says, it's almost like it never happened. She said, there's like no damage there anymore. And so it was an absolute miracle. Well, this is uh, the incredible story of Mr. Jason Biddle with us today on the road for faith radio. Jason is a newly minted recording artist and a speaker. And this, this is a one of a kind story right here. His brand new single is called come on in. And the debut record is redemption house. Now the record shares a title with redemption house in Minnesota. It comes into your life. You've got this soaring medical debt, no insurance and just a profound hopelessness, I believe you've said. How did you end up there at Redemption House, and what was the difference between it and really every other avenue that you tried? Well, at this point, um, you know, I'm, I'm there in the hospital and in recovery, and um, between the doctors and my wife, they're like, you're, you're not going home. Even when you are ready to go home, you need to go, you need to go somewhere. And so, you know, my, my wife and my pastor and some other friends from my small group you know, men's, men's group, uh, were with us, you know, on a regular basis and they were helping us find some places. And then we finally, you know, we came across this place called Redemption House, um, which is a home out in Minnetrista, Minnesota, not far from where I live. And it's, it's, uh, it's a Christian recovery home. Um, it's an independent residence and it's all private. Um, so there's no insurance or anything that covers it. People go there because they want to be there and they want to get closer to God. And so, uh, so I went out there to visit it, um, and the minute I walked in the door, they said, "They said, hey, this is a, a ninety-day, ninety-day program." And before I had walked in the door, I'm thinking to myself, "Well, maybe thirty days. I just need thirty days because I got to get back to work. I got to get my life back together." And when I walked in the door there, they said it's a minimum of ninety days. Just this huge relief came over me, and I just knew I, I'm like, "I'll do whatever it takes." I knew that whatever was in that home or was around that house probably the Holy Spirit was what I'm thinking. It's like it's just this warm feeling came all over me. And I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And uh, so we just, you know, I stayed there and my wife packed the bags and, and uh, brought them over to us. And I, and I stayed, I stayed at this, uh, at this place called Redemption House. And it was just, yeah. there was 13 other, 13 other members there, um, 13 other guys that were there. I mean, I was in there, there was, there was doctors, there was, there was a couple pastors that were in there. I mean, these are guys that, You'd never think that, it, and people never thought I was. Nobody had any clue that I had any type of hidden little skeleton in my closet like I did. Um, wow. These are guys that are just—they they were broken, fallen men, you know. And and we really got just went 
really deep into the word. I mean, we're in the word, you know, five to six hours a day. And it became there is where it really became clear of what it was that was causing me to reach out to a drug or alcohol, you know, my whole life. And that's where, that's where it really all started to change. That's where I saw the clarity there. Well, one of the things you've talked so much about in that time is discovering that it really deals with worship, right? It's a worship that you were giving to certain things in your life, to certain feelings in your life. And there at Redemption House, you discovered where and who really deserved your worship. Right. So, you know, one of the things, I mean, immediately within two weeks there, I read a great book that really opened up. I've read lots of great books while I was there. Um, but one of the things that I that I read was called um, Gospel Treason. So I read that, and it just talked about all these different uh, different idols that people can have in their life, and they don't even realize sometimes that they're they're worshiping all these things. You know, whether it's you know, and, and what we found out with me was that I was idling myself. I was idling my my need for control. Um, you know, I was idling. I, I idolized my my pride, my ego, and then um, you know, I, I idolized money. You know, and so these things, these things that I held closest to my heart, you know, my pride, ego, and money, if those things were not fulfilled, and which they always will let you down, um, <laughs> anything of this world will let you down. Right. And if, if, if we're, if those things don't satisfy us, for me, a drink or a drug would fill that void that those things were leaving. And so until it became a physical dependency, until I was physically addicted to the drugs or to the alcohol. And so, you know, I mean, it, it was just an eye opener because I had done such a good job of covering up. I didn't want anybody. I mean, you could ask anybody that had known me for years. They never would have said, oh, Jason, Jason's just an ego freak. No, I had done such a good job of manipulating uh, people and even myself to think that, that I had no, no problem with pride whatsoever. I, I had no ego. I had people, you know, I would give, you know, I would give to church. I would give to... I would give to these things, so therefore nobody would ever think that I had a problem with money, you know, but I would only give what what I wanted to give. I wouldn't give what I really could have given or should have given, um, you know, and, and then, um, you know, when it came to, I mean, it came to, to, to women, to just everything. I mean, just all these different things that that I had worshipped. I had also been done such a good job of covering them up, you know. I mean, it, it, it gets to the point where, I mean, people are idolizing they're, they're, they're holding up, uh, you know, technology, technology or computers or work, workaholics, you know, gambling. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, people, you can even idolize your children, people that are, oh, I'm just living vicariously through my son. Well, you didn't realize you just made your son or your daughter an idol. You know, what we're supposed to do is God is supposed to be first and foremost in everything that we worship. And then everything else falls after that. God has to be number one. And if he's not, something's going to grab that instead. Something's going to fill God's place. And that's what I learned. And, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an everyday battle for, for most people, for me, especially if something's going out of line with work or if something's not happening right with the finances. It's like, okay, I'll start to get stirred up. What's, why am I getting angry? Why am I getting frustrated? Why am I having these thoughts? Well, it's because I didn't rely on God to handle those things for me. You know, I'm trying to do it myself. I'm trying to take control. And the minute I try to take control is when those idols start creeping, creeping back in. Well, you understand, just listening to that, why Jason is such a powerful speaker, but not only 
are you having your life reshaped during this time at Redemption House? But you meet a fellow gentleman in recovery with a guitar, right? And something pretty special starts happening on that front. Yeah. So within the first three weeks of me being in there, um, you know, there was a, there was a guy named Jason who became a really good friend of mine in there. He was from Michigan. Um, you know, and he, uh, he was getting, he was there for the same reasons I was, uh, to get closer to the Lord and figure out what, what it was that was causing him to, to drink and use. And he played guitar really, really great, but he never had any like lyrics for it. He just made up things on the guitar. And I'm like, Hey, do you, do you sing? No, I don't sing. Not, <laughs> not, not a chance. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, well, I've got an idea for that. If you want me to just kind of hum along with a melody. And so, I would start humming along a melody to some of the things he was playing. He's like, man, I never would have thought that that would be a melody to use for this. He's like, I've been playing this for three years. And so then I'd start writing lyrics down. And I think we wrote our first song in the first like five or 10 minutes. I wrote like a, a full chorus and a, and a verse in the first five or 10 minutes wow. and him working together. And so, so after, after we would be finished with, uh, um, with our programming through the day in the evenings, we would have dinner and him and I would just sit on the couch and we would just write music and, uh, you know, and it just became so fun. And then it, it just developed into, I think five songs we ended up making there while, while I was there. And then it turned into, well, maybe we can, maybe we could just, we should record these since you live out there and, you know, let's just record. So I ended up going and calling my son's drum teacher and I'm like, Hey, do you have any way to record? And he's like, well, you know, I have a full recording studio. <laughs> I'm like, I had, I'm like, dude, I had no idea. He's like, well, yeah. He's like, I record. He's like, that's what I do. He's like, and everything for the church. He's like, well, I'm a producer. And so I asked him, I was like, well, can I come down? I got a couple ideas with a buddy of mine. And we went down and played them to him. And he's like, yeah, let's record them. And then he laid drums down to him. And then some other people that, that we knew that were musicians as well came in. And they're like, hey, we'll, we'll throw this down. We'll throw this down. It's Next thing you know, we've got a, a six-song EP, and so uh, we had a you know Goose mastered them, he, he mixed them, mastered them, and Goose is the my son's drum teacher, right? <laughs> Just, you know, so he um <laughs> so he mixed them, mastered them, and then I got the six songs done, and I, I started letting people listen to them that I knew, and people were like, "Man, this is actually pretty good." And so then I'm like, well, I don't know if I should really go any further because, you know, it costs money for studio time and everything. I'm like, I just don't know if this is even something God wants me to do. I'm like, so what I'll do is I'll send it out to, you know, some places, you know, from Nashville to LA to wherever, just some other studios and say, Hey guys, what do you guys think? Honest opinion. doesn't bother me if you don't think it's that great. And people are like, yeah, you should finish an album. And so I got, I got way, really good feedback just from that little EP that we did in the friend's basement. And so from there we said, okay, let's get it going here. And then we ended up finishing the album and I had an idea for a music video, which is called Faithful and Just. And I took that, that I wrote a song based on first uh, John 1-9, which is uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, for, and forgive us of all wickedness and cleanse us of all wickedness, I should say. Um, so I wrote the song. It was a super fun song. And then I had the idea for a music video. So I've got buddies over from church and that, that, are, that run the, um, they, they do all the video stuff at church. And they're like, hey, let's make a music video. I'm like, well, I've got an idea for it. And then uh, they, they loved it. And we literally put it together on a shoestring budget. And we made this really cool video. And again, I didn't know what I was supposed to do after that. So we made the video. 
And then I sent it out to some artists that I really, really enjoy listening to. I sent it out to some of their managers and you know, a couple record labels, not a whole bunch, but then I had immediate responses back and they're like, Hey, you might have something here. Obviously the story, uh, the story and the testimony. So is, is powerful and you can hear my testimony through every one of my songs and every song that I write it, it has my testimony all through it or parts of it. Man, the well, I've sure enjoyed uh, listening to it just over the past several days as well. The newest track just released, Come On In, and it starts with this gentle acoustic invitation, builds to a, a triumphant hallelujah. I mean, it is, it, you really are a talent, sir, and, and you're using it just so powerfully. Uh, Mr. Jason Biddle has been with us today on the road. The time has gone so fast already, but Jason, recording artist and speaker, just one of the most incredible stories of faith and redemption you'll ever hear. The brand new single, One More Time, Come On In, the debut record, Redemption House. And sir, if people do want to learn more, maybe check out the music video, uh, stream the songs, buy the album. Where should they go? Uh, JasonBiddleMusic.com um, you know, is, is my website. I try to keep everything up to date there. And then I've got, uh, you can get it on any, any media outlets, you know, everything from iTunes to uh, Amazon, so you name it, it's there, Spotify. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Jason Biddle Music. Well, sir, I just got to tell you, this has been such a such an impactful, such a powerful conversation. Obviously, one of the most incredible stories of redemption that you're ever going to hear. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your honesty and for sharing your heart. It was a real pleasure to meet you. Thank you. You too. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.